1: G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number NCC1274, entitled Picard, any card. Our podcast title today is Battle for the Podcific. I am Rob Jan.
0: And Megan McHugh.
1: And as you can gather from those titles, if you can do, so, it's like a cryptic puzzle, isn't it? I know. It?
0: We should do our own like cryptic crossword of yeah. uh, episode names.
1: Uh, you want to be careful. The the editor of the trip magazine might be listening. But...
0: <laughs> I mean, hypothetically. <laughs>
1: hypothetically speaking, <laughs> uh, I think we actually did a word search. Oh, like about you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years ago in one of the trip magazines.
0: <laughs> the time has come back around again.
1: Yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, so we're going to be talking about um, Picard.
0: Mm-hmm. Official name, Star Trek, colon Picard.
1: Yes, and also uh, Midway.
0: I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Midway, just one of those, this is actually a whole thing about what what are we going to see at the movies.
0: Mm. Sometimes
1: it's just what happens to actually be on when you're in the cinema, the complex. At the time, yeah. yeah.
0: The... Uh Effect of convenience. Yeah, because
1: I was trying. I was really trying to get to see Underwater.
0: Yeah. But
1: there's only two sessions I think where it's I a
0: limited – it's a very limited release from what I have yeah. done. Oh. <laughs> I know. It's, it's frustrating.
1: <laughs> uh, and, and as for Doolittle, well, I'm hearing such bad uh. things about that and I'm, I'm unhappy.
0: You've not seen it yet? No. You've not braved it yet? No. I mean, look, I may watch it. I'm not sure I'm willing to go to the cinema for it. Mm.
1: But – I tell you, um, well, we'll tell you about that. What this extra link later on when we get to that. All right. Uh, okay. So Picard, um, which is on
0: Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime and yes.
1: CBS All Access in mm. the States. Yes. So we've got a few different places. It is, of course, spun off mm. from Star Trek The Next Generation, technically yes. speaking. <laughs> so it's in the, uh, the Star Trek Prime Universe timeline.
0: Yes, Exactly
1: which is not the J.J. J. Abrams three reboot movies.
0: Yes. So obviously the latest movies that we've seen after the first one, we sort of have some uh, alternate timeline stuff, uh-huh. I guess you could call it. So this is going back to the original.
1: Well, between the Abrams universe and the... Okay, let me use the Star Trek terminology for this. They call the Abrams universe the Kelvin timeline after That's the right. Starship Kelvin. Yes. Uh, the regular one. We can just go with the Prime mm. timeline. Okay, so – and the Prime timeline is the one with William Shatner as Captain Kirk.
0: Exactly. The one we've known and loved for many decades. Mm.
1: Which In which uh, Star Trek – uh, classic Trek, or original series Trek, mm. is set animated Star Trek. If you remember that from the nineteen seventies, um, also uh, m- most of the um, original series and Next Generation cast movies. Yes, are in that. Yep. we've also got Star Trek: The Next Generation mm-hmm. and Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Yes, and Voyager. Voyager and Enterprise, which is a prequel to Original Trek, Hmm. as is Star Trek Discovery.
0: Yes. Now, where does that sit? Because I know there's – I've not watched Discovery. It's it's set
1: 10 years before Captain Kirk's original series.
0: But there's some other business, isn't there, as well, time-wise?
1: Yeah, the next season is set a 1,000 years in the future, in their future.
0: But it largely sits in the umbrella of – Original, original
1: timeline, yeah. So that's prime timeline. So so is Picard. Mm-hmm. Picard takes place after two particular events. It takes place after Star Trek Nemesis, the last of the Next Generation movies. Yes, uh, which saw the, and since he's an android, the the death of yes. Commander Data. "Quote unquote death." Uh, was he a commander at the time of his death? I believe so. I'll <laughs> get. I'll get I'll get emails about that. Oh, you'll
0: get emails.
1: <laughs> How about at the death at the time of the death of Mr. Data? Yes. yes there you go. That's okay. better. Uh obviously they, Safety ran, for all. they They ran out of data, so, you know. <laughs> very uh, emotional. Very emotional. Um and so this this series takes place, I think, an indeterminate time after that, but I know it takes place 10 years after the explosion of the red matter that mm. created the supernova that pretty much destroyed large chunks of the Romulan Empire, yes. which we saw in the Star Trek reboot. Yes. Although it takes place in the original series universe.
0: Yes. So if you're confused, <laughs> I think they've done it on purpose. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for sure. For sure. But I suppose it's at least – some markers that you can hang on to. I guess the most they, – they sort of lay out enough that you need to know in this first episode, really, about mm. that mm. Um, incident.
1: And, and, look, I I did enjoy some of the Abrams movies, at least two of them out of three. That's, yeah, that's you really good.
0: didn't – what was the one? Into Darkness? Was yeah. Was that
1: the one – yeah. The, the, re, the, the poor photocopy of Roth of Khan.
0: Yeah, that one – I mean, I honestly think the first Star Trek was very refreshing mm. and enjoyable. Yep, absolutely. Came out of the gate, um, had a lot to offer, good casting, good dynamic. Yep. Uh, I think it started to lose its way a little. It was held back a little as well by, um, I don't think, great villains in those movies.
1: And that was Benedict Cumberbatch in the second one. For yeah, and
0: well, so. Idris Elba plays one as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're fine, fine actors, but yeah, it mm. just goes to show you, you put prosthet- prosthetics on someone. And, and it's know, all sort of wib-
1: <laughs> wibbly-wobbly about whether there'll be a fourth one there. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Mm. Maybe Quentin Tarantino will do one. Maybe somebody else will do one. You know,
0: Interesting.
1: All off there. But it's all off, happening off in uh, in an alternate Semi- reality. Un-
0: pretty unrelated, really, to all, all, this timeline.
1: Although Spock actually dies there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Not, not, they do- not Zach Quinto, but Leonard Nimoy. Spock, yeah, exactly. You know, so well, that's...
0: And people who were involved in that first one, at least, are Mm. involved in this Picard. Yes. So there's...
1: There is a crossover.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess they're going to pick... The joy is they can pick and choose what they want to Mm. include.
1: But really, I I feel like they're taking their cue off uh, Star Trek Discovery for Mm. a start. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, And... Um, as, as we were saying, there's a, there is some crossover between people working on that and this one. Um, yes. Jeff Russo, the, uh, the composer for mm-hmm, a start,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, all that sort of thing. So there, there is definitely a crossover there. And there's some of the style that you can see.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've not watched very much um, Discovery, but I think it's a much more s- – the style of this as well as much more, I guess, sophisticated is a really simplified way of mm. putting it. Mm. But um, the energy is, is – more
1: modern. So while we've got gone off wandering down <laughs> trying to figure it out, actually I think we've done quite well in mm. telling you where all of this is set. Yeah, no, you've
0: uh, done a good job. It's
1: very basically um, about Jean-Luc Picard who, who retired as an admiral from Starfleet. Mm. The the big, um, we won't call them, sort of a pseudo-military organisation. Yes. They had warships, which yeah. were science ships. Yeah. I reckon we'll go with military. There
0: were, there were missions of... Uh Inf- information gathering and discovery. Yes. But, I mean, it wasn't all, you know, puppies and kittens. <laughs> <There> was.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember a zombie story.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, so yeah. um, we're pretty much following him here. I mean, which you can tell by the fact that they've called it mm. Picard.
1: He's on the beach, swallowed the anchor. He's... In the vineyard <laughs> mm.
0: Chateau Picard I would love to live there It looks yeah. beautiful I would love to curl up by the fire in his little outdoor Anyway, I know that's not the point ha- But um, set design, the... spot on
1: Yes uh, Although they seem to be watering the um, the grapes from um, uh, anti-gravity tankers
0: I did like there's little touches here and there of cool kind of, I don't know, technology notes, yeah. I guess sprinkled throughout?
1: I, I'm hoping it was an insecticide. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty
0: the, sure he, he's, in,
1: uh... the, in the 24. we're getting actually close to the 25th century, I mm. think. Uh, in, Indeed. The, in this timeline. No, I, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't use insecticides. No. They'd negotiate with the I'm insects. sure that
0: grape is created yeah. somehow. It's organic. <laughs> exactly. Well,
1: it, it's interesting because of course in Star Trek's time, they have these replicators mm. that can, that can, well, practically do anything. Um, you would think they're like, you know, the ultimate 3D printers. Mm. Uh, they can print life itself. Yeah. Um, so in, in the form of transporters, there's a crossover technology there. So the, um, you would wonder why we didn't, people would actually grow grapes for real. And you realise that there's a reason for everything. And in this case, it would be just for the hell of it.
0: <laughs> well, you know. It's he's a hobby. Li- he's living the life of, I mean, this is the whole thing we open on where he's still obviously somewhat plagued by his time mm. in Starfleet. He
1: always has been, actually.
0: Exactly. He's a very tortured character in a lot of ways. Mm. Um,
1: Not the same since the Borg got him. No. And, and then the Cardassians tortured him. And, you know, there's been so many bad things. He's gone things. through a lot. He's gone through a lot.
0: And, and then, of course, you know, the peace and serenity or what little, you know, what of it there is mm. disrupted.
1: You know, this is a this is a guy who as a cadet got, got stabbed in the heart mm, uh, by um, uh, oh, uh, I, my face is gurning as I try and remember who it was. I think it was uh, the Norsekins or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know,
0: there's, he's he's a man
1: of, of, of considerable depth and mm. suffering.
0: And, I mean, Patrick Stewart, I mean, I don't even think we really need to go into it. But he's no. really – he nails it. Like, I think that he does a very fine job of – this older Picard.
1: First time I saw him on screen was back in the 80s uh, in um, John Borman's Excalibur. With hair? Uh, well, he had a helmet on, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, with a little bit of hair. A
0: hint you know? of hair.
1: hint of hair. And, and I thought, you know, actually, he's a pretty good actor there. He's got a lot of energy on screen. Where was he going to go? And
0: he, here, here he is. is. Older Patrick Stewart just kills me, though, like he's... Professor X in Logan, and I think there is some overlap here. Yeah, like it. Oh, it just really gets me right in the feels. I just whenever old Patrick—I mean, I shouldn't say old—whenever Patrick Stewart is sad, I am sad.
1: No, <laughs> uh, and, and you know the, the 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 Easter eggs in this story are, of course, immense,
0: abundant, yeah. yes, en-
1: entire basket loads of it's them. It's not
0: even an Easter egg, really. <laughs> it's it's not subtext. It's just text.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, from from him having. Um, uh, Earl Grey tea decaf So I'm learning so much from this show I didn't even know that tea had cough of caffeine in it
0: Oh, right I had no
1: idea <laughs> I don't drink tea, I don't drink coffee So, you know um, They just stick me in a, a vase every now and then Exactly
0: <laughs> Water you with that uh, grape
1: so we, so we find out Yeah, with well, the grape
0: <laughs> The grape thing So we
1: find out that Picard's um, He's been dabbling in writing history books that no one reads <laughs> so he's um, he's because it's been ten years since that Romulan supernova. Yes. Uh, he's sought after by the media mm-hmm. for a, for an interview. Yes, uh, which, which just,
0: is a great bit of exposition, I think, done quite well.
1: Yeah, an info drop of of, of magnificent sort of subtlety <laughs> and some
0: great close ups of of Patrick Stewart. Yeah,
1: Ooh. yeah. And and we find out that there's issues with the Federation and there's a reason why Picard retired. Mm. I won't go into that too much, but there's.
0: Yeah, I don't think we want to give away too much, do we?
1: But there are big issues in, in play in this. There's, uh, first off, there's – and there are contemporary issues too. Mm. Uh, the issue of refugees. Yes. And the treatment of the other, yeah. which is always a big thing in Star Trek.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's about an interesting execution, which I think this has already set up for me, a story mm. that I'm interested in yeah. pursuing yeah. along with the show. Mm.
1: And because it is post-Star Trek Discovery – uh, in terms of uh, where it comes in production run uh, I think they've um, they've definitely introduced some of the the grittier aspects of that
0: the things that people did like about discovery they've mm. they've said okay track fans are happy to take on mm. this sort of dark i mean it's always been dark but yeah yeah i will say too i should note as well i think it's actually a fairly I think you'll get a lot out of it, obviously, if you're a Star Trek fan. But sure. I do think there's a fairly low bar to entry if you are not that familiar with Star Trek.
1: Well, you know, me being me, I've watched pretty much all of it except for some bits of Voyager.
0: We'll see this oh well, you and everyone. I feel like a lot of um I'm sort of a dip my toe in Star Trek fan. And so I wouldn't say and I think that I it's very palatable if you have not if you're not that familiar with Star Trek and you're a bit worried that you might not get it or that it'll be too are uh, entwined in the universe. I think you could still enjoy this.
1: This is precisely like Doctor Who. Mm. The question that I can ask of, of you, Megan, is who is your captain?
0: Oh, well, it is Patrick Stewart. Okay. So I that would probably be the series that I have watched the most of and have felt the most for. Yeah. And the tone of that one I really like. I find it very comforting, and I love Patrick Stewart. So this, for me, I mean, yeah, so – to be fair, it's already in my wheelhouse. But I do think they try to give you enough that if you're at least happy – I mean, obviously, it's science fiction. If you know what you're going in for, I think you can still enjoy this mm. if it's one of your first track experiences. Mm. So,
1: leaving, leaving the reboots to one side, whether or not you like them or not, this has, of course, going for it, the fact that the nostalgia mm. stops are pushed all the way to the top. Yeah.
0: But they didn't, they didn't grate on me. No. I feel like some of the Rise of Skywalker stuff, you know, that was very heavy fan service. Mm. I think there's a lot of nostalgia here, but it's it is that it's nostalgia. It's not, you know, we, forced. Well, I don't know.
1: I love that he calls his dog Number One. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and speaking of nostalgia, uh, there's, a, um, uh, there's a there's a there's uh, a what would you call it? A um, an after commentary um, show, ah, uh, which is done by um, hosted by Will Wheaton, who was the ah. Uh, Wesley Crusher.
0: Yeah, great.
1: In the old days. And of course, he's been on the Big Bang Theory a lot.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: So he does a nice little job of doing that. They had one after Discovery as well. Mm. Um, This one I like better.
0: Okay. I might have to check that out. (laughs) I mean, I think what excites me about this, and I think we said this when it was first announced, is about Michael Chabon is one of the executive producers. Yeah. um, And he's an author, he's Mm a Pulitzer Prize winning author of, he wrote... Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay and Wonder Boys and Yiddish Policeman's Union and stuff.
1: What? Say that again? Yiddish Policemen's Union. The Yiddish Policeman's
0: <laughs> Union. It's like an alternate kind of history of Alaska, I think. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that was really interesting that he's on board this, as well as some other names that have done Star Trek stuff before. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see how this is going to unfold. You've only seen one, right? Yep. I've only seen the pilot also. Yeah. Um, and you obviously – I mean, is it a silly question? You'll continue watching?
1: Well, there's an interesting question there, and this um, comes to the heart of uh, something we've talked about before, too many streaming services. Yes.
0: it's this. So this one is on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think I know a lot of people who their they're sort of go-to repertoire is standard Netflix. Um, so, yeah, you will have to consider – Incorporating it,
1: throw in Disney Plus.
0: Exactly, that's true. We did Mandalorian on over on Disney Plus, so it's... there's a lot of good stuff, and it is purposefully scattered across multiple services um, to try to get your dollars.
1: Mm. I was um, I was uh, discussing this before the show with um, uh, Admiral Zorin at the uh, at the front desk of Triple R, and we we were kind of kicking the idea around of what's needed is a broker
0: mm. who will
1: actually tailor-make your particular stream.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, you could say, I want to watch Picard. I want The Mandalorian. Yeah. I want – I'm trying to pick – This is from... all
0: I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Except the rights – would be crushing,
0: yeah. And I mean, they do that on purpose because the more exclusive content, the more they get you on the platform. You hmm. browse around, you realize you, you forget about it or you can't live without it. Um, like you forget you're paying for it. So, I feel like there's a lot on Prime that I'm interested in looking at. So, I'm gonna keep with this, yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed the first episode, I really just liked the tone. Yep, I mean, what it's introducing isn't a wildly original idea. No. But, um, I mean, what is an original idea anymore? I think it's about original execution, so I'm keen to see where it's going to go.
1: Yeah, me too. Star Trek Picard Mm. on Amazon Prime.
0: There's a couple of episodes out. Mm. um, It drops every
1: Thursday, I think, too, by the way. Oh,
0: great. So, yeah, so we'll have a third one this week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So much stuff.
1: You can get it on DVD. Now, that's an interesting thing, too. You know, you you forget about um, DVDs, but I know that Star Trek Discovery – Mm. Uh, um, whole seasons on uh, Blu-ray.
0: I mean, I don't. Do you buy? You still buy Blu-rays, don't you?
1: Occasionally,
0: I buy them, but like I, I don't use them. Mm. Like I have a couple that I bought, and then I just, I don't know.
1: But what? What about the day when it all goes down? I mean, again, but
0: then is my what? you'll
1: have other problems. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I'm not going to be like I can't play my Blu-ray of The Shining. No,
1: no, you know, I can't. I can't stream The Shining. Yes, yeah, but true. I can play my Blu-ray. Nor can
0: I probably play the Blu-ray. I guess.
1: You know, instead of the Mad Max sort of wasteland of people going after the gasoline, mm. it'll be like we got to find the people who've got the Blu-ray stash.
0: Where's all the content? Yeah, heading it's... to op shops and
1: on the Walking Dead houses. One of the big things in the uh, last season that I've been watching or the latest well, – the season that I've watched, um, <laughs> they they put together a, uh, a film night. Oh, yeah. And they have to use um, – it looks to me like they're just using uh, actual projectors yeah. with, with film. Far mm. more likely that they crank up a Blu-ray player or a DVD Absolutely. player. Absolutely. Off, off of someone's solar power and just play that. Yeah. On a, on a big screen. I
0: mean, I think – lot of people don't even have anything that they could play blu-ray on as well
1: yeah doesn't it can't you still play it on like xboxes and stuff yeah
0: so i have consoles so that's what i would play it on Mm. but if you weren't a game or anything
1: it can actually be hard to play on computers too you have to get um uh, a separate drive and then um, special software. and
0: Yeah, you know. my computer doesn't have – it only has like two inputs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the funny, you know, because this, this is all the, the futurist sort of riff. Um, we're all walking around with, um, with tablets and stuff like that, that mm. are, and phones that are all uh, not speculated heavily about in the original Star Trek series. Yeah, exactly. You know.
0: And I think and we are also getting closer and cr- closer to her. Like, I think all the stuff that was in that movie, Her, hmm. that's, like, emerging. Yes. I mean, maybe not the sentient AI part. Or is it? <laughs> Who knows?
1: Siri and Alexa and mm. all those other things. But,
0: yeah. So, <laughs> we <laughs> this digress. Is, this,
1: no, we don't, actually. <laughs> this is all spot on for Star Trek, Yeah, actually.
0: And I, I like, I think it's got a really lovely mixture of recognisable mm-hmm. and, like, cool future stuff. Mm. So, yeah.
1: And one of the good things about it is though, they've got Jeff Russo doing the. Uh, mm. Who, as far as I know, is not related to uh, the Russo Brothers. The Russo brothers. I'm, I hope, I think. Who knows? Who knows?
0: I mean, it is Hollywood. It Nepotism is Hollywood. gets you pretty far. Not that he's not talented. Which streaming of
1: service is that? <laughs> Nepotism. <laughs> it's a family streaming service. <laughs> okay, so they've used. Um, Um, Some elements, particularly a musical instrument, uh, more or less, not the actual one, um, that references an episode of Next Generation called The Inner Light, Mm -hmm. where Picard plays this flute. And so they've included elements of that in the uh, the new score. Now, I haven't got the new score yet, but what I've actually got is... Is the inner light Picard's theme. Yeah, nice. Uh, by Greg Nestor and Jessica Pierce. And this is from um, music from the Star Trek saga. So, you know, they've just got lots of different ones that they're using.
0: Triple R on FM, digital,
1: online, on demand, podcasts, and via the app. This is Robert O'Reilly. Welcome. Aboard Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. We do not forgive
0: or forget.
1: (laughs) Oh, i got to love him. Gowron. (laughs) And that was the inner light, Picard's theme Mm. from uh, a CD called Star Trek. The music from the saga, Greg Nestor and Jessica Pierce. there.
0: Oh, gosh. Mm. I'm, I'm really excited to go watch the next episode. Yeah. I love that feeling. It's so nice to, I don't know. There's so much content, you forget about how exciting it is when you really latch onto something.
1: Yeah. I think the nostalgia thing is interesting.
0: Mm, yes. That's Mm. probably a big part of it.
1: Okay, so I've been to see Midway.
0: Yes, let's change tack to...
1: (laughs) Yes, Alter Course, General Quarters, General Quarters. Okay, so this is the... um uh, this is a movie about the Battle of Midway from World War II, mm-hmm. uh, so it fits into Zero G's historical brief. Indeed. Um, although, you know, when I say uh, science fiction, fantasy, and historical, that's not actually the right word. We should actually be saying history.
0: Yeah. Because I usually <laughs> I usually
1: add on historical radio.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Mm-hmm. But but it, just sitting there by itself.
0: Yes, it's it, odd. Yeah, it's odd. I mean, we could change it up if you want.
1: But I like it being odd.
0: Okay. <laughs> We, go with, we it, go with that. We go with
1: that. I'm sure it's doing people's heads in. <laughs> That's all right. Anyway, uh, the Battle of Midway, a big, important battle in the uh, Pacific Theatre of, theater of World War II. Uh-huh, uh-huh. took place on the 4th to the 7th of June in 1942. And, like, um, this is only six months after the Japanese attack upon Pearl Harbour. Uh-huh. And it's uh, a month after the Battle of the Coral Sea, which was important for Australia as well. And so... It's, you know, the United States is still kind of reeling mm. from all of that. And this film is by Roland Emmerich. Yes. who
0: He didn't he do Independence
1: Day? Oh, yeah. The Emmerich brothers, they've just done so many oh, big blockbusters. I can't blockbusters. believe I knew
0: that. Just Why went, do I retain all this knowledge? You remember 2012? Oh, really? Yeah. The no. Mayan thing? Yeah. Or that end of the world thing? Yeah. So Day they, After Tomorrow?
1: Stargate.
0: Oh, yes. He's, yeah. he's got a certain. Actually, it's hard
1: to remember the original Stargate movie after a. Mm. Oh, 11 or 12 or 13 series, uh, serial, uh, season series, and then two spin off ones. Yeah. You know, but there was an the original
0: ah, movie. I see. He also did uh, Godzilla. Godzilla. The yep. one from the 90s. Mm, Interesting. And he did the Stonewall, movie. Mm,
1: throw a few more titles at me.
0: So he did Universal Soldier. Yep. Another big ticket one, 10,000 BC.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A bit of a turkey. White House Down. Did you ever see that? No. Did you ever get into some Channing Tatum? No. no. It's more Didn't of an action thing. Um, yes, yeah, Stargate, the Godzilla. He did The Patriot, Mel Gibson.
1: Uh, yes, he did that instead of um, instead of Midway. Because Midway is a passion project he's been working on for a long time.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he did a whole – he really got into the um, end of the world stuff with mm. Independence Day and the day after tomorrow and then Independence Day resurgence.
1: Yeah, which um, was pretty bad.
0: So And he also did Anonymous. Isn't that a Shakespeare thing? Mm. Maybe? Mm. So he's actually hopped around. He's got some interesting
1: – I'm assuming it's the same one. I could be wrong there.
0: Um, he's got some interesting stuff in his uh, little repertoire.
1: Mm. And a lot of them are big, you know. Um, I think of him kind of like as as a uh, a more upmarket Michael Bay.
0: He's a blockbuster maker for sure.
1: And I like his blockbusters better than I like Michael Bay's ones. I mean... Looking at you, Pearl Harbor.
0: Oh, yeah. That was a real turkey.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, uh, we've got this accomplished guy doing spectacle, doing this film. Mm. It actually came out on November 8th in the US, so... It's uh, sort of like reached a tide mark over here.
0: Yeah, it's a kind of a. I mean, it, I think it's a bit of an unfortunate time for it to come out. What with all the push for 1917, or maybe it's a good time. People are feeling in the mood to watch a war. Yeah, Olympic. well,
1: I'll go watch one unhappy war movie and, and then, then,
0: then trot onto another?
1: Trot, uh, spoilers: the um, the Allies win World War Two. <laughs> you know, more or less. Rob, <laughs> how could you? I'm sorry, but because um, I'm evil. <laughs>
0: I mean, where does this sit within... Like, as we said, and sort of from looking at his repertoire, he's a bit more of a mainstream blockbuster maker, but he does have some cachet to him. Mm. Where does this sit in the realm of war movies or historical-leaning movies?
1: Well, I think it sits quite well. Um, this is a an important moment in history, um, of great tactical and strategical significance. Mm-hmm. Um, it and... Um, uh, the Battle of Guadalcanal, both were seen as per- turning points in the yeah. Pacific War. So this particular interpretation it, is, is quite a, a nuanced one. Mm-hmm. I thought they did quite well with this. It, it actually harkens back to an old-style sort of film.
0: Mm.
1: And, okay, they focus upon several characters in this one, of course, because they, by giving you the individuals, yeah. they lead you through the...
0: You need the narrative. We know that. It's yeah. fine.
1: Um fortunately, none of them come from broken families
0: <laughs> there is very I hate tortured that. backstory nobody
1: has father issues
0: oh i mean do they try to force in no. a love story?
1: no, because they are the main characters of this are already married.
0: thank God i don't like when they try to force in a love story yeah. anyway
1: there there is there is um there are moments when they uh they check in with the um okay. dependents sure, and they show some of the impact of um Uh, uh, Of those waiting at home, you know, so no problem at all with that. Uh, I'll get to the characters and the actors and characters in a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, what I wanted to say first was that this falls into 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 a number of sort of um, areas for films. Mm. Back in um, 1942, John Ford, yes, the John Ford, Mm -hmm. uh, was actually on Midway Island right shooting a documentary okay <laughs> so the and i watched that this morning cuz i got a copy of that and it's just this little sort of as as often world war 2 docos were they kept it light to start with mm. so you know they're showing the uh the seabirds on the island and so with with goofy music saying, <laughs> and yet the birds are nervous oh god <laughs> you know that's good. Um, and they got voiceovers by people like donald crisp, crisp uh, Henry Fonda or um, people from the day who were who were quite well known so yep. you know so you've got this sort of a, a, a character stuff of uh, talking to people at home and mm-hmm. a, and then it drops into this full on combat footage yeah right 16 uh, millimeter film and Ford was actually shooting this himself along mm. with uh, two other um uh, cinematographers, um, who I will name here because they often get missed out, Jack mm. McKenzie Jr. and Kenneth Peer, mm-hmm. who were assisting in the filming. And, and that's just totally raw. And, yeah. And this kind of footage actually ended up being incorporated in many World War II film movies. Sense. Yeah, Interesting. Uh, and Ford himself was actually wounded. Oh. Um, in the... In the arm. Got wow. a, an arm wound. And, and oddly enough, this is in the film, in the new film.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, after that film, in the original one, he also did another one called uh, Torpedo Squadron something or other, 8, I think it was. Um, and later in 1976, when they did a big budget all star epic of the Battle of Midway, which yep. is also known as Midway, and the Battle of Midway, depending on which country it was screened in, yep. um, it was directed by Jack Smite. Um, this one had everybody And this was a tradition in the 60s, late 60s and 70s It had Charlton Heston It had Henry Fonda okay. Who'd done the voiceover uh, James Coburn, Glenn Ford uh, Hal Holbrook Who you mm-hmm. might remember from Barney Miller And um, Welcome Back Cotter, Cotter, I think yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Mitchum, Cliff Robertson, Tom Salak, okay. R- Robert, Robert, Robert Wagner Robert uh, Wagner Soundtrack by John Williams It even had Eric uh, Estrada yeah. in it
0: Interesting,
1: <laughs> and okay. of course, because this was the way it was, you had Toshirô Mifune playing Admiral Yamamoto, mm. and Pat Morita in there oh. as well. You know, so it was a very balanced sort of cast. It was a bit of a trashy kind of movie from an accuracy point of view, and they were incorporating footage from a number of other films like uh, *Tora, Tora, Tora*. Sure, you know a lot of ones from that, and it was really, really, very successful mm. in nineteen seventy-six. So. We go into uh, much later on in history. Emmerich's trying to get this done as a passion project. Um, uh, eventually, it became a, an independent film, um, hundred million dollars, one of the most expensive indie films of all time. Wow! So he's got raising money from everywhere, and it shows in the uh, in, in the credits of little bits and pieces oh, and right. stuff, okay. including a Chinese uh, substantial Chinese con- contribution. Interesting. Um, which I guess is deftly included in the film because there's a section that's done in China.
0: Ah, I see. With
1: a partisan who's being, you know, and, and the Japanese are being evil to... Sure. ...Chinese
0: partisans. So we can, uh, partisans, yeah.
1: um, Which is all true. Mm-mm-mm. You know, and it actually doesn't feel forced because of the way that they incorporate it. Uh, the film's broken up into... Um, Four segments, Uh pre-war with the naval attaché from the United States in Japan learning things.
0: Yes, okay. And
1: having conversations with Admiral Yamamoto before the war. Uh Um, uh, The attack on Pearl Uh Harbour. The subsequent Doolittle raid on Tokyo. There's our connection with Robert Downey Jr.
0: There, yeah. Doolittle.
1: Jimmy Doolittle. Doolittle. (laughs) It was... um, a colonel in the US Air Force mm. and this was just after Pearl not too long after Pearl Harbor and they decided to the Americans decided they need to hit back at Japan. Um, and so they put land-based bombers on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, which mm. was not the way you were supposed to do things, and only doable because the planes weren't going to come back. Right. And then they raided Tokyo, which was an enormous shock to the Japanese, mm. and uh, then they, uh, they crashed their planes either in the ocean or in free China. Um, and so that's where the do little sort of thing, mm. uh, the uh, partisans come into play. Uh, and then, of course, the, the main set piece, Battle of Midway. Right. Midway is... I thought maybe you need an, a map to explain this to people, but then I realised Midway, it's in the Pacific, it's an island. <laughs> There's not much there but a, a, airfields and sure. stuff, you know. Um, but it was strategically important. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the Japanese attacking that because they missed destroying the the American aircraft carriers at Pearl Mm Harbour. They sailed in after the raid. Yep. Very, very pivotal failure Mm. from the Japanese to not destroy those carriers. Um, And they wanted to lure the American fleet into a big battle. Yes. And they figured if they attacked Midway, which is not that far from Pearl Harbour, technically speaking, although farther than most aircraft could fly – if they attack that then the Japan then the Americans would have to come out and fight them there.
0: Right, I see.
1: Now, they have a problem there and this is this is historical fact. Mm-hmm. Um, the Americans have cracked their codes partially. Right. So their big uh, secret plan
0: is not so secret. Not
1: so secret. I suppose that's a spoiler if you don't know anything about history, but I give me a break. These movies are Give I me a think, break here.
0: Yeah. You're okay.
1: fine. All right. So uh This then uh, will give us an impact upon a number of characters, all these strategy and tactics. And so the first thing I'm going to do before we go into any more of this is to give you a bit of a a track here, our Bowie track for today, Mm. which is not actually by David Bowie, (laughs) but it is about David Bowie because it's from from Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which of course is the the movie where uh, Mr. Lawrence, um, Bowie's character, is imprisoned was it, actually, is he Mr. Lawrence? I can't remember, actually. But he's imprisoned in a in a Japanese camp mm-hmm. in World War II. And this is by Carlo Balzaretti. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> now, there's an interesting... One that I picked in there to play mm. after Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence, by Carlo Bellzaretti. Mister Lawrence, actually played by Tom Conti, mm-hmm. and uh, David Bowie playing the Collier. Collier's. Collier's. I haven't.
0: Collier's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. I think he's a commando or something, tortured to death by the um, Japanese. Cat. And George Takai, of course, is a Japanese American who suffered in the internment camps in um, during World War Two, and his family were unjustly interned in there too.
0: Gracious.
1: Mm. Um, now, so we are looking at the film Midway. Yes. Which um Historical details. war film. Mm-hmm. And in, hot on the heels of the uh, 1917 one that we, that last week. Mm-hmm. Um, now the characters are broken up into distinct groups, the aviators. Yes. Uh, the commander of the air group of the USS Enterprise. And, yes, the Starship Enterprise is Is named after that long lineage of uh, American ships and space shuttles and so on, although it gets a bit complicated. (laughs) Anyway, the commander of the air group of the Enterprise is uh, Wade McCluskey. And he is played by... Gaston! Gaston! Luke Evans.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He played Gaston. He played in
1: Gaston. Beauty
0: and the Beast. He did.
1: Also in uh, The uh, Immortals and The Free Musketeers in 2011, and Bard the Bowman in mm-hmm. The Hobbit. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he was also um, uh, the American psychologist William Marston in the uh, biographical drama Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. So it's been a lot of this sort of stuff. And he he is also a singer as well (laughs) because he's Welsh. So, of course, he can sing. This is a cliche, but it's true. Um, And he has problems with a maverick aviator, uh, squadron commander Richard Best, uh, played by um, Edward Scrine. Ah. Well, Scrine, actually. Edward Scrine, who's a rapper as well as an actor.
0: Yeah, he's got a real recognisable face.
1: Uh, Dario Naharis in third season Game of Thrones. Mm. Everybody's been in Game of Thrones. And, of course, the um, uh, uh, Francis Freeman Ajax in Deadpool. Yes. And uh, one of the warrior hunters, Zapan, in Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. So we've seen him around before. And he he really actually inhabits the role. Mm. Um, It's the kind of role I could see Chris Evans playing but uh in this case it's played by this guy and he does a very good job at it he he's convincingly um uh hot-headed mm-hmm. but actually does have a character arc as he be, he as he goes from being an individual pilot pilot to a uh, part of a, to a commander you know yeah, and okay. that does you, you see the arc weighing him down as it goes along which i thought was interesting it's not often they bother to to have, to do that yeah. in this ki in this particular sort of all stuff When and all. there's
0: a lot to cover, yeah. Yeah,
1: and there was, actually. So a lot of the film is from his point of view. Okay. Um, or, or looking at his face, looking at the point of view.
0: I'm sure that's because he's very chiseled and all-American looking.
1: Well, because he's, a, he's a, a dive bomber, mm. you get to see his face a lot. There's as a he's, lot of
0: close reaction. kind Yeah,
1: of, yeah right. as he's bearing down upon the enemy. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think he does a fine job in this. Uh, Air Force Colonel Jimmy Doolittle, as we were talking about earlier on, Aaron Eckhart. Oh. Yeah, love him love
0: yeah. his chin with his little chin dimple
1: but he is not two-faced in this one he um <laughs> he gets by in this uh and then we've got the uh the US Navy man mm-hmm. uh Patrick Wilson playing Woo! he's an important character in this one um, I love Patrick Wilson uh Lieutenant Commander Edwin T Layton who's in in intelligence and not only is he uh, did he warn about the Pearl Harbor attack mm. and failed to convince his commanding officer um <sighs> Bureaucracy. (laughs) Bureaucracy, yeah. So we've seen him so much. Um, Watchman, Night Owl, he played in that. Insidious. Insidious. The Conjuring. Lou Sulverson in the Fargo series.
0: Yes. Aquaman. Aquaman, Not his most memorable role, but
1: look. Uh, And also um, Annabelle Comes Home. Mm. Oh, he's
0: done some stuff.
1: (laughs) No, he's actually known as a a Scream King.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just loved him in... um, Uh, Watchman.
1: Mm. And he has an important part to play, and this is worth saying before the Americans had cracked, partly cracked some of the Japanese naval codes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very important the the role that he plays in this as he bears interesting news along the way. Um, Woody Harrelson is Admiral Nimitz, and Dennis Quaid is Admiral Halsey. They fit these parts like, you know, hand in glove. Yeah. Perfect. perfect As to be expected. Um, they don't often get a lot to say.
0: Nope.
1: Um Admiral Halsey is suffering from severe dermatitis, which is not as funny as it sounds in context of being in the Pacific and all the heat and the humidity. Yeah. Um. He he's, he's Dennis Quaid is just great as him. You know. He's like it's the sort of role that Tommy Lee Jones would also step up to. Right.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah.
1: And now Quaid is now in that sort of
0: That's, age group. Yes. That bucket, mm. that vintage, shall we say?
1: <laughs> and um, uh, we've also got um, uh, one other guy whose name escapes me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, is it? He was the guy who was in. Who played, who was in The Dark is Rising and The Hunger Games, played Cato in that.
0: Oh, um, uh, Kian Johnson. Keion
1: Johnson, yeah. yeah. And in Vikings, he is uh, Bjorn Ironside.
0: Ah,
1: so he's. Um, also playing it, really. Maybe that?
0: No, no, I don't think that is him. I'm not sure who you mean. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Anyway,
1: we'll move on <laughs> uh, to the Japanese um, characters. Admiral uh, Yamamoto is played by uh, Etsushi Toyokawa, who mm-hmm. I've seen before in Sword of Desperation, okay. and he's also really well known as being Ocho in the 20th Century Boys trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, and also known from Takeshi Mika's The Great Yokai War. Mm-hmm. So quite a the veteran great actor. Yeah, so it's like, it's, it is almost kind of like having Toshiro Mifune play Yamamoto. I
0: mean, at least they're Japanese actors, that's all I have to
1: say. Uh, yes, so he gets to, he gets to um, give that great line, I fear we have um, awakened a sleeping tiger and filled it with mm. great resolve, something like that. Yeah. You know. uh, Vice Admiral Nagumo, a thankless role, considering that he gets handed the blame for the Japanese <laughs> uh, defeat, uh, was in Black Rain. Um, the, the actor uh, Jun Kunomura, Ridley Scott's um, yakuza action film, mm-hmm. and he was also worked with Quentin Tarantino. He was uh, Boss Tanaka ah. in the Kill Bill movies. Oh. yeah!
0: He's,
1: he's also making a role for himself in uh, Korean horror. He was in the Wailing. Cool. So, you know, these these actors bring dignity and um, and it's not it's you know it is a thankless task playing playing the, essentially the villains mm. of the piece in this film, but they, they execute it extremely well. Um, there are some moments when the Japanese do some despicable things to mm. people, um, apart from making war upon them, um, you know, killing prisoners and stuff and mm. torturing people and so on. Uh, and there's some historical documented ones which are a little bit different from what actually happened, but I can see why they telescope the incidents. Cause, yeah. You know, uh, I
0: mean, oh, it's such, it's, it's quite, is it, I don't know. This- oh, and Jeffrey
1: Blake plays Commander John Ford, who we were mentioning before <laughs> actually doing the footage there. Um, look, there's some historical f- weird bits in it, uh, a few things that, um, you know, the buffs have pointed out, like they've got the uh, the Douglas um, uh, Devastator planes carrying bombs and torpedoes at the same time, which they couldn't actually uh. do, you know, one or the other, which <laughs> is actually a plot point. The Japanese planes have the same problem um, quite a Big moment in history, because you have to change out the torpedoes or the bombs, if depending yeah, on what you're going just, after. Yeah. A, uh, well, actually, it's the same target. But a, a torpedo is designed to let in water, basically, where okay. a, a bomb is designed to let in air and create fires and stuff in, in the ship. So it, it's said that you actually need torpedoes to sink the ship. But, mm. but this is basically a dive bombing campaign. Yeah. Right. You know. So, in fact, I think in history of memory served there was only one Japanese ship sunk or by um, torpedo in the, at the Battle of Midway it could be really far wrong there but I think a, a PBY uh, flying boat, torpedoed an oil tanker or something, one of the supply ships. <laughs> so, you know, if you're thinking about little planes boring in low across the water and dropping mm. torpedoes, not a lot that had that happening in this, in this film because of all these um, technical reasons that occurred. And there's another controversy about whether American torpedoes worked properly or, or would always break down. The Japanese had a similar problem at Pearl Harbour. Uh, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole at the moment.
0: Is, so, it, is it like a closely historical... Reading.
1: It feels like it. Um, they do. They do get a bit obscure in places where I think they probably could have, mm. well, had a few maps mm. or something like that to explain things a bit better. Yeah, sure. Um, I got a rough idea of what's going on anyway because I've seen,
0: mm.
1: uh, read a few things. You know
0: a lot about it anyway.
1: I've got my Purnell's History of World War II <laughs> Midway copy in my bag at the moment.
0: Do you think uh, someone who's just coming into this with no knowledge would get still enjoy it or no? I mean, enjoy it. But- yeah, yeah, I, I, word, th- I think so. Like I think it's
1: pretty well closely spelled out what's going on most of the time, okay. including a bit clunkily. You know, like mm. where they have you get a character who says a line and you know that's just captain exposition.
0: Sure, I mean, <laughs> but sometimes you need that. That's yeah,
1: it, sometimes yeah. you need that. Um, there is a lot of feels in this in, in this film because it's it's obviously being the. Look, that that John Ford documentary, full of propaganda from World War Two. Who can mm. blame them? Mm. <laughs> In a lot of ways, um, and this one has its own echoes of that. Sure, you know, but they do they do take time to um, to give the uh, the Japanese um, sailors and and, and uh, officers a measure of respect at moments. Mm. You know, so I, I think it could have been worse. <laughs> it especially, could have been worse. Especially, especially I mean, you know. The, the, They beat the Imperial Navy, so you Mm. you can afford to go a little bit easy on them.
0: Yeah,
1: it's a delicate thing, I think. It is, is, of course. And I think they maintain the balance reasonably well here. I mean... I was saying last week that every good war film is an anti-war film.
0: Is using this... is that?
1: Uh, It's a little less than 1917 because it's easier to do that with... Mm. You know, with... um, World War I mm. uh, this one is still you know World War II is still thought of as the good war mm. amongst some people um, it's no really no such thing but I suppose they mean we are reacting to being attacked mm. you know, I don't know
0: it's fraud isn't I, it but you know
1: I, do I have to serve as, as um, ethical judge on this no, I'm not. What to.
0: about Ethical Judge on the quality of the film? Did you like the? Yeah, the cinematography is superb.
1: Or... The special effects are really good. The detail I thought was exceptional in a lot of places. They um, they did uh, little things that I, I appreciated them doing, like having um, the crew of the Enterprise walking the deck uh, The flight deck to check for debris Mm -hmm. after after the battle, so they can get rid of it. Because you're landing and taking off planes on that, you don't really want. No, you
0: kind of stuff lying around willy nilly.
1: Yeah, they showed the yokes on the um, the dive bombs extending out when the bombs fell. Uh, a lot of little things like that, and I'm thinking, that's kind of cool, you know. They, yeah. They, 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 they got that right. So, obviously, they spent some time doing that.
0: Well, he's had 10 years to perfect his passion project, hasn't he? It's,
1: look, it's way better than Pearl Harper.
0: I mean, not difficult, but no. I take your point. <laughs> yeah, with
1: none of that forced sort of romance yeah. Feeling.
0: But Look, if you, can, you can do
1: romance. That was also
0: like br- broadly US propaganda as yeah.
1: well. Yeah. You can do romance films in the context of, of war. Of course. Of course. Um, one of the best ones, of course, is From Here to Eternity. Mm. You know, that's a complicated mm. one. Uh, that works very well. Mm. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's that's Midway, Roland Emmerich. I, I think it's a pretty solid film. Uh-huh. Um, it does have some moments where maybe they, uh, they they fumble the ball just a bit. But in, a, but in other ways, it, it just basically just tells you the story of this major event in, in history. Okay.
0: Interesting.
1: Hmm. Uh, the soundtrack, I thought, was, was superb. And some of the moments in it were really quite moving. Um, one of the things they did in it, and I'll just play you a little bit of a track here. Uh, the soundtrack is... Mostly by uh, Thomas Wander and uh, uh, Harold Closer, with a K. And this is uh, Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And just play a bit of this, just to give you an idea of why I like the soundtrack um, so much. Triple R. So why do I like that so much? Because (laughs) they're riffing off the sound of um, of aero engines mm. you know so very Lever. important so they they're doing a bit of concrete music there mm. and and I I enjoyed that I thought that worked really well and it, it gave you a, a good sense for the for what's going on in the Tension film. And stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, Midway. Quite, quite a respectable effort. Uh, probably better than the 1976 one, even okay. if it doesn't have to share a in it. Mm-hmm. Although the 1976 one did have the advantage of using some of John Ford's footage.
0: Well, yeah.
1: You know, so you were there. Yeah. But they also just pasted together all this footage from other War movies. Yeah. This one, it's all pretty much from, uh, from the day. Um, and the CGI works very, very well, I thought. Okay.
0: I mean, I I think I'll skip this one. Not, I've, I yeah, like yeah. the occasional war film, but um, I don't know. I really, yeah, doesn't appeal, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah, exactly. I'll catch uh, Patrick um, Wilson in his next role.
1: Mm, mm. But if you are going to see it, it is one for the big screen.
0: Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mostly those um, epics are.
1: Hmm. All right, well that's about it for Zero G today. Uh, Flown by. Do we have um, is Joe, Joe Bernady back? I, I think I see Joe's silhouette. Yes. I can. <laughs> Coming up next with Astral Glamour.
0: Welcome back, Joe.
1: Welcome back, Joe. And we're going to go out with a track by Luke Evans, uh-huh. a singing track.
0: <laughs> one of his Gaston numbers no no i
1: i, I look, looked at in his looked in his repertoire and i thought oh this is perfect in, right. in context of um, midway because although the battleship missouri wasn't actually uh there at the, at the uh, at the battle um <laughs> uh that song if you could turn back time mm. filmed aboard board that uh, battleship in contemporary times or near contemporary times um Luke Evans has covered that. So here he is, uh, McCluskey from the film, <laughs> singing, If I Could Turn Back Time. <laughs> I thought, okay. And that's it for Zero G. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G. A weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.